0: Warning, the Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. (laughs) Kingdom Casts for the week of August 18, 2020. More DC news this week, and we're just going to get right to it. Joining us once again is Sandra. Is that a tuna in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see me swindle? I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way real quick. We got a few... Emails back and forth on uh, the D.C. stuff. But the most important email we received this week said, I love your podcast. I'm really enjoying y'all, but y'all got to do something for me. And that's stop pronouncing Al Ewing's last name has Ewing. It's not Ewing. It's Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was kind enough to attach the Google pronouncement thing. <laughs> Is,
1: was so, that from Al,
0: Al Ewing? I don't know. I don't know. They didn't <laughs> give a name. <laughs> from henceforth, it is Ewing. And he oh, used the Dallas. He used Dallas as an example. You know, like Bobby Ewing. Ewing. Yeah. No, it's Ewing. I've been saying Ewing like ooh, but, you know, it's you like you. So from henceforth, we'll be calling him uh, Ewing until we hear otherwise from somebody else yeah i thought that was hysterical so i thanked him for that and we moved on did you know it was ewing albert (laughs) probably i should have i mean you know he's right the guy was right it's like on dallas
1: i just never associated al ewing with dallas uh speaking of al ewing (laughs) i'm never gonna be able to say his name again al ewing ewing Ewing. There was an article on Bleeding Cool that had a screenshot of the X-Men summit that was all done on Zoom. And Al, however you say your name, was part of that X-Men conference. So he may be doing an X-Men book.
2: Is the whole summit just Hitman him saying, get out of my way?
1: <laughs> it kind of looked like that. Yeah. He was like at the top, the, the first one on the top left. He had his wild man hair and Yeah. <laughs>
0: You want to see a magic trick, guys? I can't see
1: anything, but I'd <laughs> like to
0: hear a magic trick. Albert? I mean... In the past, on the podcast, I don't mean yeah. to toot our own horn. We've been correct about a lot of stuff. And the reason we've been correct about a lot of stuff is not because any of us are great prognosticators. I mean, we're okay at it, but we owe a lot to our contributors. Here's the magic trick. I'm going to go ahead and call it right now. Allison Bree is Jennifer Walters She Hulk from Disney Plus.
1: Okay. Allison Bree?
0: Allison Bree from Community. What's the wrestling show that you and I like, Albert? The Netflix. Glow? Glow. Glow, yeah. Allison Bree from Glow and Community is Jennifer Walters She Hulk. And she's either signed the papers or they're in the process of signing the papers.
2: She was also Trudy from Mad Men.
0: Oh, she was, wasn't she? Yeah, I forget about Mad Men. That was a, what, eight season long Coca-Cola commercial. <laughs> it was a great commercial. <laughs> well, so far as soda commercials go, yes. <laughs> Mad Men was an outstanding Coca-Cola commercial. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to go ahead and call that one right now. Allison Brie is Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk. Gosh, she's and... kind of
1: scrawny, isn't she? Oh, excuse me. Well, gee, uh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Jen Walters is a
0: smaller build, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, if I recall the official handbook of the Marvel Universe from 1986, Jennifer Walters, in Jennifer Walters mode, was five foot six inches, maybe? I think that's correct. And She-Hulk sprouts up to about seven. What we're hearing from our She-Hulk will be CGI, just like Hulk and Ruffalo will. Oh, yeah.
1: She's basically in a superhero costume in this, now that I'm looking at some pictures from GLOW.
0: Oh, yeah, they put her all in. All. Yeah. I, I think that's outstanding casting, and that also tells me where they're going with it, that it's going to have a, a good humorous base to it. Not necessarily a comedy, but a solid humor base to it. Wasn't
1: that always? Well, not always, but I know no. the, Burn, the Burn run had some humor to it.
2: All the good She-Hulk runs had humor to it. So Burns and Dan Slott's runs had humor in, in them. My issue is, so what if it's funny? It's just like every other Marvel Disney thing, if it is. Well, it's got, yeah, it's got, they're all written the same. They're not
0: written the same. Yes, they are. They're all written the same exact thing. No, no, no. They have different tones to them. And are they not going, are you not going to watch it?
2: Yeah, but they're, they're all the same tone. How are they all the same tone? All of them's tone is, oh God, oh God, we've gone two minutes for something serious happened. Someone tell a joke. Please, someone, God, say something funny.
0: That's (laughs) (laughs) Ant-Man.
2: That's every Marvel movie. That didn't happen in Doctor Strange, I I was about to say. Yeah, that didn't happen. Go watch Doctor Strange and tell me that didn't happen.
0: As for Iron Man movies, it's not that they have to say something funny. It's that Robert Downey is ad-libbing most of the time.
2: Also, there's only one good Iron Man movie. No, there's three good Iron Man movies. No,
0: there's one good and two horrible ones. I'm not getting into this with you. We're just going to call that Alice and Breeze She-Hulk. And then we're going to go on with life.
2: <laughs> I am looking forward to She-Hulk, though.
0: I am, too. I'm very curious about that. And the sooner they announce it, the better off. I was expecting some sort of Star Wars announcement last week, and they didn't get it. But we know that Cassie and Andor and K2SO are back in active production right now. I mean, what's there to announce? No, I, w- I was expecting them to release an Ahsoka Tano uh, this Soka is not time, a good
2: time to announce really anything.
0: Well, no, it's not, but they're not waiting. Everybody's moving on it seems like. <laughs> you haven't had a good week, have you, Al?
2: I've had a very long week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to some of the serious stuff. Follow up from the AT&T successfully put DC Comics in a corner. After we edited the podcast last week, Jim Lee came forward with a statement to The Hollywood Reporter. Basically, he thinks it's a great opportunity. Yeah, we're going to kill 25% of the standard comic book titles, but that's the 25% that aren't earning anything or bringing anything in. And then he goes on to imply that there's going to be more cuts coming down the pike. He does say that comic books are the cornerstone of everything we do. And then he also turns around a little later and implies that Digital and Yaw and so on and so forth are the way to go. Pamela Lifford has her dream team in place, the two new editors-in-chief. And plus, in September, they're going to announce that who we suspect is the esports manager to come in and be general manager of DC Comics, which in and of itself is problematic. I'm going to ask you this, Albert. In all honesty, how much longer do the DC standard floppies that we're used to and that I consider the cornerstone of the comic book industry, how much longer do they have coming out to the comic book shops on a weekly basis? Five years. You're still sticking with a five-year model?
2: Yep. That's for them and Marvel.
0: Jim Lee said that there was was a two-year plan. Yeah. Which told me that by the end of 2022, you're going to see significant reductions in the DC comic title sitting in the comic book stores on the shelves on, say, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day of the week they decide to do it on now.
1: Well, on that article from the interview from Hollywood Reporter, didn't Jim Lee say that they're definitely pushing that digital first? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's not a look. If you just look at what's coming out from
0: DC next week, it's all Bat Family books, Batman books. And then there's like three DC Universe books that are not Bat Family. Wonder Woman. I forget the other couple. I think I've got them written down here. Oh, uh, Legion of Superheroes. Legion of Superheroes has also been canceled.
2: As long as Bendis is off the book, that's fine by me. Plus, I would imagine there's going to be something. Once we get to the end of Death Metal, they're going to announce a bunch of new stuff. I mean, what's Marvel put out? X-Men books and Empire
0: books. Empire's almost done with. They've got X-Men books. They put out Immortal Hulk. They put out Thor. They put out the Avenger books, which you know, you and I are not jumping up and down about necessarily at the moment. But Fantastic uh, Four. Yeah, the Fantastic Four. There's an entire line there. They're not relying on the X-Men books for their. uh, They do what DC is doing and cancel about twenty five percent of that line. Well, they're going the opposite way. They're bringing the Power Pack book that was supposed to hit shelves in April. They're designating it to come out, I think, in November. So that's coming back. And they've announced that they're going ahead with like three or four titles that they indefinitely postponed due to COVID. But they are still killing Doctor Strange, all the Empire tie-ins that they've killed, everything else. They're losing weight. And then they're putting forth books that they think should bring in the attention with them. And I think that's an okay plan.
1: They are going to start the Black Widow movie machine uh, tie-ins because the Widowmakers and Taskmaster, the miniseries, both of those two are miniseries, I believe, and those are going to be coming out. Those Those books are are going to bomb. bomb. Well, they don't really care. They're not expecting Empire-level numbers from those books. They just want something that they can put in a collection and have ready to throw out there when the movie hits.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to go back to this again. We've talked about this again. The reason Bob Harris got fired as editor-in-chief from Marvel Comics when the X-Men movie and the Blade movie came out was because he had nothing on the stands that reflected how those two movies w- looked. The X-Men didn't look anything like that in comic book format on the stands. It was made up of marrow and Maggot and a whole bunch of unrecognizable characters. And he didn't cover the bases on the movie. So Marvel has always had a policy of you know no matter what, we're going to have something on the shelves that reflect the look of the whatever movie That's not
2: that true. Way. When have they not?
0: Because they've when come Disney out with When Disney bought
2: those. them and, and Fox had the X-Men rights.
1: Well, that was the... The whole nonsense with that was the Perk Mueller situation well, you said they
2: did was... and they didn't well they still do they did I mean, have i X-Men. couldn't i mean you couldn't even go if you as a kid you couldn't even go to the store and buy x-men toys on them movies they didn't exist, uh,
0: no, you the they didn't exist. Uh, no you couldn't go to the store and buy movies but you could come in the shop and buy comic books that tied directly into the movies no you they couldn't the, yeah they did they released the saber prequel during wolverine origins they had three or four prequels during X2, the Nightcrawler thing. On X3, they d- even did a tie-in to yeah, the death of Jean Grey. They released all of those things. It, it, the comic book, the tie-ins to the movies are not necessarily great material. They're just there to make sure that you can reference them. Now, they didn't jump up and down about the Fantastic Four there at the end toward the bargaining situation. But they did do a massive re-release of Days of Future Past. When X Men Days of Future Past came out at the theater, they released it in that deluxe format. So they did hold to it, they just didn't hold to it as much as they would say their Marvel Cinematic Universe's Avengers or Iron Man, where they would hit us with a few miniseries based in standard continuity as well as the movie tie ins. I said before we started that I, I would really like for Viacom or possibly NBC Universal to swing in and make an offer for the Warner Brother properties. Warner Brother properties are now greatly devalued since the AT&T buyout. Sandra, I believe Mile High Comics had something to say about that. He sent out a letter via email.
1: Chuck, the owner of Mile High Comics, you can always subscribe. I guess it's a newsletter slash... Is Chuck um, Mangione? No, no. <laughs> no, it's Chuck Rosansky. Chuck sure? Rosansky. I'm looking right at it. Yeah, Chuck Rosansky. Mangione. Isn't that the guy that's from True Blood?
0: Mangione is the sax player, the soft saxophonist that is always referenced in King of the Hill, but he's famous in and of himself. Okay. He's the music <laughs> you hear in the elevator. He lived uh, in a megalomart. Yes, he did. Before was it blew one of, up. It was one of, <laughs> before Dale blew it up. <laughs> Okay, but what did our friend
1: at, uh, what did Chuck at Mile High have to say? Well, he was very, let's say, what's the word of, of not negative, not <laughs> negative. He wasn't exactly a cheerleader for what's going on with the... He was erring on the side of pessimism. Right. He was not optimistic about the giant bloodbath at D.C. He was saying that AT&T was in really bad shape for all intents and purposes. They are a classic case of the walking dead. And that they paid $108.7 billion, billion to buy Time Warner in a normal economic climate, that might be okay and they would come out all right but with the COVID-19 economy um (laughs) as he puts it those poor fools are just totally screwed. (laughs) He thinks that they're like underwater on their loans and that they are dead dead dead. Like you said he kind of thinks that at some point they're just gonna have a fire sale on on DC Comics and somebody will be able to pick them up while, really he is,
0: while he's echoing in his newsletter everything, Albert, you and myself have been saying since the AT&T acquisition.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: While he's echoing that, I I cannot see them physically separating DC properties from Warner Brothers
2: as a whole. Can you, Albert? No, unless I got some hell of an offer.
0: Yeah, now I can see him doing like, it. Because I mean, games. like,
2: if you're going to buy DC Comics, why not buy, go ahead and get Looney Tunes and all this other stuff while you add it? Yeah, and you know what the
0: number one cartoon property that Warner Brothers owns is? The one that brings in more money than most anything else by its own name. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it would. Scooby-Doo in and of himself. And I'm not talking in relation to this, in relation to that. You want a quick $200 million, you make a Scooby-Doo movie and stream it. Release it to video. But the, uh, going yeah, put back it to in this, Walmart for nine dollars.
2: Going back to Chuck Mangione, does anyone care what he really thinks? Mile High, yeah, he's—I don't—he's he, a fair predictor. I mean, his business hasn't changed in forty years when Dazzler Number One came out.
1: Oh, but, he's been around longer than that, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, but
2: the direct market had the direct market has started with Dazzler.
1: Dazzler was the first. What we know,
2: direct market started at Dazzler in nineteen eighty. Nothing's changed in forty years. At bo- some bo- point bo- in bo- time, something's going to have to change.
0: The direct market comic book shops existed before Dazzler. Dazzler was. They
2: did, but the last thing that happened to the direct market that had any real effect on it was Dazzler. Ever but since Dazzler then, was nothing's the... happened
0: dazzler was the first comic book made exclusively for direct markets and again i I go back to this without the direct markets there would have been no outlet for comics because grocery stores were tired of them
1: i have to disagree somewhat because there was the big implosion from the 90s with the speculator the speculator well yeah it kind of like opened up the diamond monopoly
2: I mean, but that didn't change anything.
1: What kind of change are you talking about, Albert? I real, mean, it's not going to be like
2: digital change. Not well. Here it is, another Wednesday or another Tuesday.
1: Well, we we also got digital comics, so I mean, that's a change.
2: Oh, diddle, digital digital comics—that's satanic. That's that's what the devil.
0: <laughs>
2: I that's don't think do
1: digital. Us
0: all to a unless, fiery grave. Unless DC has a startling new format moving forward for digital comics. I still think we're in the same boat with the digital comics. There's no real evidence. And look, I I will root for them. If they're right about this, I will uh, I will be happy, 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 happy. But they're not going to be right for this unless they've created a new format.
2: What if for everybody's it. wrong?
0: Well, everybody's wrong.
2: What if the direct market's wrong? What if all the comic book stores are wrong? What if Diamond? What if everybody is just wrong and no one's right? They're all wrong. And and there's nothing anyone can do about any of it except watch it die.
1: I'm sensing a little bit of uh, negativity here.
2: (laughs) You are a joy to deal with tonight. (laughs) Know who's going to save comics? If anyone does save comics, who's that? It'll be the biggest asshole on the planet, and his name is Jeff Bezos. You proposed that Amazon buy Warner before, didn't you? Did I? I don't know. I say something different every week. (laughs) Yeah, well... (laughs) Next week, I may say Star Wars is good. I don't know. (laughs) Star Wars is
0: always good, pal. If you say so. (laughs) Uh, No, you did. You proposed that, and I would... Again, I don't know about that format. I keep saying NBC Universal because Universal movies, they have a good format and a good plan and they're consistent performers. I mean, they turn things out. They take sixty million and turn it into four hundred million on what was it with Don Johnson's daughter in it, the controversial fifty shades. Fifty shades. That movie costs next to those three movies cost next to nothing to make, but the money Don that they Johnson's pulled in. Daughter. Yeah. Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, Dakota Johnson. What?
1: Yeah, Yeah. her name's Dakota. I can't remember what her name is, but I think it is Don Johnson. Johnson. Yeah,
0: it's Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith's daughter that's in those movies. But that's an aside. What I'm saying is those movies were very cheap to make, but the return on them were astronomical. You don't necessarily hear about that unless you're reading the trades where, you know, the bottom line is the dollar it's being brought back in. In addition to that, you know, Universal has Jurassic Park. It writes to the Back to the Future stuff, which is never going to get remade while the main producer is alive. uh, It'll
2: never get remade while I'm alive because I will stop it. Well, there you go. (laughs) No matter the cost to my freedom (laughs) or personal well-being, I will make sure it's stopped
0: Basically, I would like anybody to have Warner
2: Properties. And then later, then later, they will make a movie about me called "The Man Who Saved the Future."
0: <laughs> okay. Sure. Some of that yogurt hasn't fermented. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would just basically feel better if the Warner Brother properties somehow got away I- from AT and T. We could do another house clearing and then maybe reimagining and bring forth. I'm not disagreeing with you, Albert. Yes, I would love to see something spectacular happen. I mean, I've got three notebooks full of spectacular things that in the 16 years of Running Kingdom, we couldn't pull it off simply because we were too busy running the store. Took all of our time, effort, and resources to continue running the store, especially around 2007 and 2008. Those were scary times. Not as scary as right now is. Those were intense times. It's the same thing with Diamond Diamond can't initiate because they're too busy trying to run the situation as it is right now. I would like to see major initiative made for the comic books, but there's a way to do it all and to keep comic books on the shelves for the comic book shops and retailers.
1: Back to what I think might have been Albert's initial point, which is nothing has changed with comics in 40 years. I disagree with that. If you're talking about the comics themselves... somewhere in
2: there, Grant Morrison wrote a comic book, so...
1: Well, see, there's a change right there. But I think we had this discussion, like, last time, too. Nothing's new since Ultimates, which I disagree with. Are you talking about nothing new in the distribution method? Nothing new in the actual physical creation of comics? Nothing I mean, new? It's all in- the same. Well, I, I don't think... I, I just don't changed. think so. Just think of, like, the books Claremont was writing 40 years ago, where it was wall of text and, and thought balloons, which... Personally, I like thought balloons, and I don't mind walls of text. I mean, just the, the, the style. See, of- I'm
2: not, I don't mean creatively. I mean, as a business. I mean, in 40 years, I mean, we were still five years off from Watchmen in 1980s. So, I mean, creatively and, and how writers and artists work, yeah, of course, that's going to change. That's always going to change. But I mean, as a business, nothing's changed in 40 years.
1: I don't think that's necessarily true because we got reduced down to the monopoly of Diamond and we got the introduction of digital comics. Now, whether or not either of those things lead to something else, that remains to be seen. We also got the introduction of web comics. I mean, like when we talk about comics here, we to me, it generally means American USA superhero comics. But there's a whole wealth of comics out there that weren't around in the U.S. 40 years ago. Manga, web comics, just on and on. I mean, just international comics. Yeah, None but of, the
2: delivery system is still sort of all the same.
1: The, the delivery system is going to be similar because we all still have eyeballs and we're operating on a cash credit system. I mean, it, the, th-
0: the delivery system is not the same. DC Comics saw to that. Warner Brothers saw to that. Pamela Lifford saw to that DC Comics has changed the way their comic books get into stores. You have to pay an ungodly amount and make absolutely no profit on them. And she's managed to stranglehold
2: the stores out of it. Maybe they should release like all their books with 700 covers. Well, that's not hurting. Maybe every time a a, a comic gets to like issue 12, they should cancel
0: it and restart it. You bring that up, but Marvel Comics is not the one strangleholding the stores at the moment with the cost of shipping. Again, I, I go back to my statement. You cannot convince me that upon receiving the current numbers for the DC comic distribution to the direct sales market, and stop calling it the direct sales market, it's independent comic shops owned by people like you and me, upon seeing there's those numbers, you cannot convince me that Pamela Lifford did not go in her office, close the door, and sit behind her desk and just chuckle to herself. She's playing a game of chess here. What that
2: was, was, and I've said it before, is is whether it was her or somebody else, sat down, looked at everything, and was like, why do comic book stores get to run this industry? No, she sat
0: down, she looked at everything, and said, what's the quickest way to prove to AT&T and slash the higher-ups at Warner Brothers that comic books that appear on shelves weekly are unnecessary? And she came up with a plan, She came up with an outline, she followed the outline, and again, like I said, I had no love for Didio as editor-in-chief, but phase one, Didio's gone. Phase two, Diamond needs an excuse. We need an excuse with Diamond. COVID. Remember, even you.
2: We'll well, see, y'all. You got your monkey's paw out of it. Oh, did you? I mean... Ever okay, since so I've now known you, you've hated Didio. Well, it's gone. It's now
0: my fault because Didio's gone. Okay, Didio's yeah, has gone.
2: Got what you wanted. That. Oh, Diamonds Monopoly, we got to do something about it. Okay. Oh, they did something about it. Monkey's Paul. Well, let even me. You said during the
0: COVID virus, when the COVID virus came, that the timing on this situation was horrible. Yes, it was absolutely horrible for comic books, not for Pamela Lifford, not for the two or three higher ups there that wanted to take these steps to eliminate comic book shops.
1: Or to eliminate their product from being in comic book shops. Albert, you say, why do comic book stores get to dictate how the industry runs? Well, that's because comic book shops are the people, they are the ones that are at risk. They're investing in the
0: idea of the comic book
2: industry. They 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 are the customer. But they don't own these billion-dollar characters. They shouldn't have any power over the industry. Well,
1: okay, you know what? If the people owning the billion dollar characters want to tell the quote unquote industry how to do it, then the billion dollar characters need to assume some of the risk because right now they don't assume any of the risk. The only people that assume the gigantic risk of the comic book industry are the comic book store shops. And people get this so confused. Fans think, well, we're the customers. We should have a say and blah, 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 blah. And why aren't they doing this and blah, 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 blah. You know what? You are not the customers for DC and Marvel and Image. The comic book store shops are. Because once the publishers sell to the comic book store shops, then they're not going to lose any more money. Not that they lose money, but they have a system that any other magazine or book publisher would love to have because they have no risk with no returns. You tell them, I want a hundred copies of Batman. I will pay a hundred copies of Batman in advance. They print a hundred copies of Batman, and then that's it. It's not like any other publisher, uh, books, magazines. Nobody else has that sweetheart deal. The comic book publishers have no no real risk.
2: Yeah, they Albert, do. No,
1: Albert, they let me don't. ask you a question: they do not. How do they not it's, have
2: risk if they make these books and then they the, and people don't order them, then they've lost money on them? Of course, it's a risk. And they, if it's not, not, not a risk the, and it's just not given free the way money.
0: No, not given the way that they're printing. If they're doing their printing right, and that's what Marvel does—is with the final order cutoffs and all. Albert, let me ask you a question: What do you think? What power did you think that me or you had for sixteen years in Kingdom Comics? Because I got it n- not you, much. Exactly. Do you think anybody in Montgomery, in uh, Sacramento, in running any other store have any other power?
2: Well, that guy from Mile High obviously thinks he does.
0: No, the guy from Mile High thinks he has a lot of experience, and he's not wrong about that. He, he knows damn ha- well he has no power.
1: And he used to have one of the one of the sizable accounts for new comics, but I don't think he's doing new comics yeah. anymore. Even which given, should tell you something.
0: Even given the situation that we're in today, with Midtown posing as a distributor for DC, which is part of the problem here. If Midtown went to DC Comics and said, "Guys, we would prefer it if Harley and Ivy were lesbians again," because you know they've tried to straightwash Harley and Ivy here the last two years except on the animated cartoon. If Midtown Comics went to DC Comics and said that, they would be laughed right out of the building. And you are? Well, we're distributing your comics. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's happened to distribution on your end of this, but (laughs) here, here's a Batman t-shirt and don't let the door hit you on your Midtown Comics ass on the way out. That's exactly what would happen. We can't dictate to them. Even if we had united, even if we, and this is impossible, but even if the comic book stores across America had united and gone in to dictate something to Diamond, Marvel, or DC, that ain't happening. Hell, one of the formerly biggest bookstore conglomerates in the United States thought they were going to swing in there and redefine the way comics are distributed, and we saw how that went. They're no longer one of the biggest, not because of the comic books, because of several other mistakes, but you know, that didn't work out for them. There's no winners in this situation. My concern right now, and I'm going to lay it out for you, we're screwing around with the cornerstone of comic books as part of our culture here. Because Superman is the cornerstone to it. I know you're out there screaming Batman. Yeah, Batman's great. Batman makes money. It started with Superman. And right now, AT&T has possession of Superman, and they are strangling the character. And ultimately, these characters are going to become unrecognizable on this path. This is very, very problematic for a variety of reasons. Rather than go into the details, I'm simply going to reference Joseph Campbell. Just read the hero with a thousand faces. This is a large problem at hand here that nobody seems to be concerned with. That's why I keep hoping that uh, somebody more stable, somebody that's more lenient on the creative side of things comes in here and gets Superman and gets Bugs Bunny and gets Scooby-Doo. Yeah, and again, I know how I sound. I'm, uh, I'm a grown man. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo, Bugs Bunny, and Superman. But Superman is the cornerstone to modern American comic books. What if
2: your your hero Elon Musk bought
0: it? Musk bought it. Musk has no interest in any of this. Musk is trying to get people
2: to Mars. No, he's not.
0: Now, Bezos, I could actually see when you say Bezos, I could actually see Amazon swinging in there, and I don't think I like that. I'd like. Well, they somebody... already
2: have a distribution system.
0: Well, yeah, they have a distribution system. They have one, so the best Disney, one in the but country? they're still using Diamonds. It's getting better every day with everything closing up and then buying them, using them as distribution centers. But, all part of the plan. But that's not... The distribution of comic books is a minor point right now. We're, uh, it's we're the whole a, point. That's the reason DC left Diamond. That's not the reason DC left Diamond. We thought it was, but it's not the reason DC left Diamond. DC left Diamond to kill shelf copies of comic books. We know that now. Read the well, Hollywood re- read the Hollywood Reporter and what Jim Lee says. Jim Lee says it happily because they're paying him to say it happily. But yes, this is the structure. Jim Lee can't dictate what's going on with these comic books. That's coming down to Warner Brothers CEO Kilar and Pam Lifford. That's where it's coming from. They're strangleholding the comic books that come out weekly slash monthly onto the direct sales shelf. Well, in other words, they're in the way. We found an effective way to get rid of them. The COVID-19 crisis has given us this opportunity. And here we go. That's basically how the DC Comics stuff is.
1: Well, you playing know, Albert, out. Yeah, Albert, you're talking about like there needs to be a change. Well, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but I'll tell you what I think the next evolution, sadly, of comic books is going to be. I mean, I don't want to say that comic books are going to end, but with the success of the movies, I can see there being no need for the comic books. And I know we've talked about this before, where Marvel can see, sees them as like an IP farm. And even Jim Lee says the same in, in that Hollywood Reporter thing, that they he thinks comic books will always be around because of the he doesn't say that he thinks of them as an IP farm, but basically that they contribute to the overall brand and the organization and whatever. But I mean, there are so many people that only know these characters from the movies. They've never read a comic book in their life. So they only know them from the movies and the games. And those two things bring in so much more money. I can see where they feel like the, the floppies don't. Okay, we're now
0: going to review DC Comics for this week. Not a ton of them out there. Albert, you want to start with Nightwing number 73? Sure. Nightwing number 73 by Dan Jurgens, artist Ryan Benjamin. I don't know whose idea it was to make it Grayson think he's Rick Grayson and then come out with a Power Ranger team of Nightwings, but all of that is gone in this issue, and now Joker somehow has... Control. This is a Joker war tie-in. Joker somehow has control over Dick Grayson. The book is better than it has been, and it kind of seems like jurgens is leading us out of this Rick Grayson situation to restore Dick Grayson to himself.
2: The writing's fine, but boy, is this book really stupid? I'm not
0: jumping up and down about it. I'm just saying that it was better than it has been. This yeah. one issue. Yeah, I'll give it that. And That's fair. At least this issue had a recognizable supporting cast. Yeah, and it is a Joker War tie-in, so you got that. You know, so long as you don't think too terribly hard about how is the Joker in all these places and what time frame is all this taking place with, you're fine. Well, I gave three
2: Jokers, Stan.
0: Yeah, but I don't think all three of them are waging the Joker War. I think this is one Joker.
2: I guess we'll know how that works starting next week. Yeah,
0: I'm. I sincerely hope this book better leave. Look, they're doing construction work in downtown Trustville. They're making it look nicer. That's all well and good. But for the last four months, I have had to basically do Dukes of Hazard jumps over roads to get to the post office in my poor little beat-up truck. By the time they're done with this, those streets better be paved with gold. The lampposts and the sidewalks, they better be platinum, silver, and you better be able to see the lights from the space station that these lampposts put off for all the trouble it's caused. I feel the same way about the Three Jokers. This better be the best damn book in history. It may be. It may be. But I don't think it's going to be continuity anymore. Do
2: you? Yeah. Who even cares? Uh, Well, I do. (laughs) I don't. If Death Metal's continuity, why the hell can't Three Jokers be continuity? Uh, Death Metal's not continuity. They're going
0: to write it out. Snyder's already packing his stuff up and going to start a new company. (laughs) No,
2: well, yeah, but he said he's still got stuff coming, so. Yeah. I look forward to his Captain Carrot epic. I mean, you talk about trustful and warrior. The only thing we've done in the last 10 years is, is we've rebuilt a Jackson Taco Bell. We've already got.
0: Oh, they've done that here, too. They rebuilt a Taco Bell. They ran out of lettuce at this Taco Bell for, like, two weeks. We saw it in the neighborhood website thing, and their solution to it was to shut that store down and build another one next door to it. <laughs> It's brand new. So, Nightwing number seventy-three by Dan Jurgens. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a two, and I gave the art a two because there was some body issues in it. There's a scene with Joker's new girlfriend, not Harley Quinn.
2: (laughs) I I don't even remember her name. (laughs) (laughs) What?
0: This is why we get angry emails, Albert. Why well, the one that reads them? You are punchline. <laughs> there was a I was scene close. With, yeah, there was a scene with punchline. There was a couple of scenes, and her arms—nobody's arms can do that. Not even Mister Fantastics. So I gave the art a two, and the dynamic I gave a two. My score on it was two point three.
2: Yeah, I think we're the same. I gave the writing a three, and the art and dynamic a two. Okay, yeah, we're right on. We're right together on that.
0: Let's jump over to Batman, continuing the Joker War situation. Batman number 97 by Tinian, and Tinian is number four in a series of Tinians. And Jorge Jimenez, I enjoyed it. It's intense, it's creepy, it's surreal, and it's an outstanding Batman story. And I even like Harley Quinn when Tinian is writing her. Tinian, who I, I think we should all start calling T4 at this point, is outdoing himself on this book. I saw a couple of reviews saying, yeah, it's, it's okay, move on with the Joker War. It's not that... you know. No, no, this is far better. The worst issue of Tinian's Batman is a thousand times superior to the best issue of that CIA spook who likes running lives issues of Batman. I gave the writing on Batman number 97, I gave it a five. I really do like it. The art was a four. I gave the dynamic a four. My score was 4.3. What'd you think of Batman number 97?
2: I gave her straight fours. How do you like yeah. his Harley Quinn? He does a good job with her. I guess I, you can look at it like this. The fact that she's in a million books right now. Yeah. The only one I like her in is this one. I guess that means he's doing a pretty good job with it. Given her history. She doesn't well. feel forced in this book.
0: she seems like
2: she's naturally part of the story
0: yeah I agree it works and it works well and even the little part where she drags Batman to one of Poison Ivy's hidden gardens I liked all that that makes sense I'm buying it if I'm going to buy Poison Ivy I'm going to buy this and for some reason I don't have that much trouble with Poison Ivy so you gave it straight 4's and I gave it a 4.3 Batman 97 Wonder Woman Dead Earth came to an end this week daniel warren johnson art and
2: writing the best wonder woman story i've ever read i think you're right if we're gonna give it a, a grade whether it's the single issue or the whole thing i mean it's just straight fives to me yeah
0: i did too and if you haven't been following yet pick it up and trade paperback or hardcover when it comes out i wouldn't mind having this in hardcover putting it alongside all-star superman in the dark yeah, Knight. I'm, I'm sure they'll make a nice pretty hardcover of this he's done more to define Wonder Woman in this than anybody has in a very long time. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was, I even thought it was touching. He nailed the ending on it. We need to give Daniel Warren Johnson the main continuity Wonder Woman book while there still is one.
2: He needs to do more work with Wonder Woman. Well, I don't know if he necessarily needs to do it with Wonder Woman. I mean, there could be... This one book is really uh, everything he needs to say about Wonder Woman. I would like to see him more on DC or Marvel properties, plus whatever creator own stuff he'd, he's got lined up.
0: Yeah, I don't think we have to worry about that. We're going to see him. The reason yeah. I want him on the Wonder Woman in continuity book is because he could make this work he could probably maybe outdo, and I know this is blasphemy, George Perez's stuff was great, but I think he could outdo Perez so far as character development if they would just let him write the book. I wouldn't give him writing and artist duties because that's a little too much on a monthly. Okay, we'll close out DC this week with the Death Metal Guidebook by various writers. And Albert,
2: you actually contacted me and said, I asked you to read it. Yeah, I read it. It's really not that bad. I I mean, I didn't realize it was just a bunch of short stories.
0: I didn't know they were going to do short stories. I thought it was going to be like a handbook with a roster and everything.
2: I half expected something maybe not as overly dry as the Empire handbook.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I was expecting too. And so, okay, they defied expectations on this. There's actual stories in this book. What did you, do you think it's worth their money? Do you think it's worth their whatever it is,
2: seven ninety nine? Is it seven ninety nine or six
0: ninety nine or whatever? I know it may be five ninety nine.
2: Well, it's got a good run of writers and artists, don't it? I mean, they didn't really cheap up on it too bad.
0: No, they didn't go cheap on it. It does have an impressive number of, as I said, various writers and artists. I just felt that every hackneyed comic book trick in the handbook is pulled to try to justify the death metal reality. And yeah. I, I didn't feel that any one of them succeeded. I felt that I have seen all of these stories before in far better versions. It's just like, hey, remember when Grant Morrison had the Joker holding the whirlygog and the Joker started to crack the earth up with a giant smile? before he became sane and stopped short of it. Well, let's go ahead and let's just make the Earth a bat symbol. You know, let's... Oh, yeah, you seem, I that. Yeah, you, that's how I felt, was like, oh, Grant Morrison didn't go far enough. I will go this far. And it's not that Grant Morrison doesn't go far enough. It's that you lack a simple understanding of what Grant Morrison is doing. There's a reason Grant Morrison did not turn the continents into a bat symbol or a Joker smile, the poison Ivy thing was, I think the one with the most
2: emotional substance to it. And that still wasn't. Well, the one too- I liked the most was the one with had a priest wrote it and Eduardo Rizzo did the art. Yeah. Uh, the one where Batman's teaming up with Jonah Hex.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah I, I like that one. That's That, was, yeah, that was okay
0: one. I still wasn't jumping up and down about any of these, and I'm mad over the whole death metal thing anyway. I gave the writing a one. I gave the art a three. The art does go up and down because it's various artists, and because it's a death metal book, I gave the dynamic a zero. My score was two on this. I don't think any of death metal is worth your money. I don't think any of Empire is worth your money. I gave the
2: writing a, I gave the art a four, 'Cause it does yeah. have a bunch of good artists on it. Yeah. I gave the writing a three and the dynamic a two. Okay. Well see the dynamics are two simply because the ridiculousness of the main book yeah. hurts this book. So your score overall is three.
0: Yeah. If they have to pay more than five dollars and ninety nine cents for this book, is it worth it?
2: No comic book is worth more is worth five dollars and ninety nine cents. Oh, there are. No, there's not.
0: Boom Studios released Once in Future. Number, what are we up to? 10? Yeah, I think I number, know. yeah, number 10. Writer Kieran Gillen, art by Dan Mora. Man, there's no other way to say it. I love this comic. I want a hardcover to go right next to Once and Future King and Lamort on the bookshelf. This was also nominated for one of the best new titles of the year and definitely deserves it. Not just the nomination, but I think the award for it. This is a very well done comic. I think has a rightful place in Arthurian legend. I gave it fives
2: across the board. This book is worth it, even for just the coloring. Wow. Just the color! See, the artwork pops right off there. The the coloring is the best coloring I've seen in a comic in years. It is absolutely fantastic coloring.
1: It's beautiful artwork all the way through. Who did the coloring?
2: Colored by Tamra Bonvelane. V O N V I
0: L L A I N. I'm ready for this to get its own series and casting. I want Dom Hall Gleason as the main character and has his grandmother who just steals the show, just completely steals the book all the way through. We need to get Helen Mirren to play her, don't you think, Albert? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm ready for this to make it to the uh, screen. Sandra, have you been reading this? No.
2: The I, cast of Hot Fudge. Uh, hot, yeah, hot fuzz. Hot <laughs> fuzz. The cast of Hot Fuzz has a cameo in this book.
1: Yeah, oh, really? For about yep. five seconds. Oh gosh.
2: <laughs> they get a wonderful
0: splash page. But yeah, this is an outstanding comic book. Really well worth your money. I know the first trade paperback's out. Go ahead and pick it up. Try to catch up with the rest. I love this book. This is far better. They've tried so hard with the Arthurian lore. Even Netflix currently has something out there, and it's just not up to snuff. It's okay. It's not bad. It's just not great, and it's not, in my opinion, it's not necessarily worthy. The last main attempt that I thought was very well handled with Showtime actually had a series, Camelot, that lasted all of one season. I guess they just saw Game of Thrones and everybody gave up and went home. This is a worthy successor. I highly recommend it, especially in, if you're into British and Arthurian lore. Love it to death. So pick it up. I gave it fives across the board. Yeah, that's pretty much my score. Wow. We can't recommend this enough. We really can't. Well, this that's... is alienated has really stole the show this year so far.
1: Well, if you like this, it was announced today that Kieran Gillian is going to be doing the reboot of Eternals. Saw that. With a rubik. The only problem with that is that it's
2: the Eternals. The Turtles? <laughs> the no.
1: <laughs> the Tur- <laughs> Turtles? Wait a minute. I don't the remember Eternals, that.
2: Turtles. The Eternals. I'm sorry, but the Eternals have never had a good comic. I, no. I
1: have to agree. I'm not <laughs> a big Eternals fan.
0: Wasn't it Chuck Dixon that tried to turn the whole thing into basic pornography? Oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah.
0: I mean, am no, I wrong no, right about no, that? No, no, no. Not he Chuck Dixon.
1: Chuck Austin. Chuck Austin. Chuck yeah, Austin. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Chuck.
0: I apologize, Mr. Dixon. Yeah. I apologize. I slipped up. It was Chuck Austin. Yeah. Mm. For three pages, I was like, hey, you may be. And then, you know, you get to that fourth page and you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> this could be a pretty good take on. Like, you know I'm
2: interested I mean? in the new book because it's got a good writer on it and it's got a fantastic artist on it. But to me, it's still just. The Eternals always just came out as just here's Jack Kirby's leftover ideas he didn't use.
0: Oh no, that and was so he
2: had to stick them somewhere.
0: It just didn't gather footing, and in the same way, I don't feel that Inhumans ever did. Inhumans never aspired to more than really good supporting characters, or maybe good for a twelve issue run. Yeah, yeah, a beginning, something that somebody's pitched beginning, middle, and end. But yeah, I, I saw Karen Gillan's on it, but look. If anybody's going to have a good take on it, it's gonna be Gillen.
1: Yeah, Gillen, yeah. Or or Hickman. And, but Hickman's And Assad Asad, Asad ribbick I mean, Oh Assad Ribic. Old, That's yeah. I mean yeah, the art's just
0: without yeah, yeah without mm-hmm. saying. And then we're going to move on to Marvel Comics since we're already talking about Marvel Comics.
1: Atlantis Attacks is finally going to finish up st- starting in November, which I've been waiting for. And God, I hope Pac doesn't disappoint me because I, as a Namer fan, I have taken about all the disappointment I can take this year. <laughs> it's just...
0: So he's got a better chance of showing up in Marvel Cinematic, either on Disney Plus or in one of the movies. He's got a better chance of showing up there right now than the X-Men or Fantastic Four does, has a blurb or a lead-in or a hint. So he's going to get all the attention you can imagine and more when that happens. Because you know how these YouTube channels and the general public get when Marvel introduces, suddenly everybody in the world knows who Shang-Chi is.
1: Yeah. And they yeah.
0: didn't 10 minutes ago, you know? I mean, they Shang simply... Shang-Chi is did...
2: my favorite character, said random 5,000 people on the internet.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. I am an authority on Shang-Chi because I've got his Wikipedia page here. Yeah, and Same thing with Moon Knight. Everybody, when they announce Moon Knight for Disney+, Plus, everybody's an authority on Moon Knight.
2: I'm like, dang, where were you people
0: when his comics were failing? Yeah, any one of the Shang-Chi comic books that they've tried to make a go of in the past 30 years... <laughs> If there's, so, if there's so many of you Moon Knight and Shang-Chi fans out there, why didn't it work? <laughs> and I'm not knocking that. I like Shang-Chi as a character. I like Moon Knight as a character, provided, of course, he doesn't turn into an insta-god and take over the world like him and Konshu has in the current Avengers issues. Everybody is about to be a Submariner authority.
1: After my major disappointment today, I, I'm glad to hear your optimism, Stan, but I just don't feel like that Marvel appreciates the character and the potential for the character. I could do a whole podcast on that. The other thing yeah. I wanted to mention was... Um, <laughs> quit laughing. you <laughs> laughing at Hey, that's right. You did promise me a Namer podcast. Well, yeah, um, I promised
0: a lot of people a lot of things that yeah,
1: are just not working out. Yeah,
0: yeah. So. <laughs> Did y'all see where Olivia Wilde is writing and directing one of Sony's Marvel movies and it looks like it's going to be Spider-Woman? Couldn't care less. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't just want her to write it and direct it. I want her to write it and direct it, but I want her to star in it and I want her to be Jessica
2: Drew. I just don't like looking at her giant square head. Oh my gosh. Do not slam Olivia Wilde. I mean, she's a very pretty woman. She's very beautiful, but, I mean, she's Isn't got a big square head that I don't like looking at.
1: <laughs> Isn't she already in the Marvel Universe? Isn't she in one of the X movies?
2: No.
0: No, you're thinking Olivia Munn. Okay. Yeah, Olivia Munn. They really underutilized Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn is a, a very talented actor. All Brian Singer had her do was, in Apocalypse, stand around and be an action figure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Halle Berry at the time was perfect choice for Storm. It's just a shame that nobody would write anything for her. Yeah. I mean, they, they have wasted tremendous amounts of talent in these roles that, that really could have been handled better. Yeah, Olivia Wilde. So rumor has it that uh, Olivia uh, Wilde is writing and directing Spider Woman. So I'm okay. looking forward to that. Okay. Okay.
1: I'm just not a big Spider-Woman fan. And plus, it's going to be for Sony, isn't it? It's not going to be part of the... um... Well, okay, you
0: see, now here's one of these poorly kept secrets. Sony and Disney have worked out some sort of mega deal. They've just not announced it to the public. And the COVID situation has pushed them off announcing it to the public. But if you look at the Morbius trailers, you see that Morbius is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. The rumor is is that the upcoming Venom 2 is going to tie into Marvel Cinematic as well. It looks like, while they haven't issued an official announcement yet, it looks like that Sony and Disney is working hand-in-hand with each other right now, which is for the best for both of them. Anything that she does, if it ties into Spider-Man in the next five years, it's going to tie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not only that, but you clearly, at the end of the Morbius preview, you see Michael Keaton show up as the Vulture. I mean, he's not in a Vulture outfit, but that's the character he's playing, Hmm. to let you know. So, yeah. Let's talk some Marvel comics here. Do we even want to talk about Avengers number 35? Is that the
2: last Khonshu book? Uh, I wish it was the last one. (laughs) This issue, I thought, was better than the previous ones, because it seemed more... Like it was
1: going somewhere. No, it didn't
2: <laughs> seem as it didn't seem as big. And all the other issues, it was like, oh, Conshoe's taking over the earth, here's all this craziness. And this seemed like a lot more simply just here's Moon Knight, here's Consu, and here's the Avengers. It didn't have everything else. It seemed like a lot more of a, a standard story rather than some big thing it really not meant to be. Well
0: my notes on it read, more Conshu crap with a side helping of Star Brand baby.
1: Then oh, I gave it a two point
0: three. Gosh. Jason Aaron's writing it. Javier Goron is the artist on it. Excalibur number eleven, writer Tenny Howard and artist Marcus II. We're revisiting Excalibur for the first time in a while.
2: Still don't care. Yeah. It's just it, bland. It still, it still comes off like they don't know what to do with Captain Britain. It's like half that and half, well, here's the X-Men characters no one else wanted, so we're going to stick them in this book. But you could do so
0: much more with those X characters than this, and it doesn't even feel like an X book. It yeah. doesn't feel like it fits what it in was,
2: What it seems like, it seems like Hickman didn't want to write these characters, didn't want to write them yet. And then the other books that they, they had lined up, none of these characters fit in those books. When you look at all the X-Men books, I guess you could take Gambit and shove them in Marauders if you wanted to, but that, that would be about it yet. Yeah. All this other stuff seems to be like, well, these characters don't fit anywhere, but they're known X-Men characters. They're characters that elite, they have some type of fan base. So Stigma Excalibur
0: doesn't feel like an X-book to me. And what's worse than that is it's continually lessening the character of Apocalypse with each use. This Apocalypse that appears in this book is not the same Apocalypse that we saw appear in the X-Men book when they were doing the mutant arena thing for the mutants that had lost their powers to face him in the mutant arena and earn their death so they could be reborn with powers. This is not the same character. It doesn't read like it. And I made the mistake of reading this after Once in Future because Excalibur is supposed to be tying in to Britain lore as well. And it just pales in comparison to Once in Future, even given the format. I know the formats are different. I know this is a superhero book and Once in Future not is not necessarily that, but it's just not there. It's just not happening
2: I still think the overall arc of Apocalypse is that he's he's plotting some new horsemen. Well, I think so, and too. That's, and that's what the deathmatch stuff is. The deathmatch is him testing people out. He's got those original horsemen on the island that connected with Krakow. There are a lot of
0: dangling plot lines going on here that we need to come back and revisit. I mean, at some point, Sinister's going to turn on him because he's Sinister. Yeah. Well, yeah. How is he going to turn on him is the thing.
2: It's He's got copies of all the mutants for himself.
0: Yeah. No, I can see that. I understand that. I just... Excalibur's not doing it for me, what it comes down to. Yeah. I gave the writing a two. The art a three. The art was okay. The dynamic a one. My score on Excalibur number 11 is two. It
2: mm-hmm. does have good art, so...
0: Yeah. The art was
2: nice. It wasn't great.
0: It was just nice. Yeah. Wolverine number 4 by Benjamin Percy, art by Victor Bogdanovich. Right off the bat, the first two pages in this is the Wolverine that I have missed for so very long. To me, this feels like Wolvie again from way back before the Fox cartoon hit, because ever since then, he's just kind of felt off for the most part. Ever so often, he'd get a few good pages, maybe a good story art, but his character was more of a caricature of himself than anything else. This issue of this new run felt right. It it felt like a solid Wolverine story to me from his dealing with Magneto to his going to the little bar
2: out in the middle of nowhere. This was a really good issue. I've really enjoyed this run uh, over like the last, I don't know, 10 plus years. Pretty much the lead up to when he died. Yeah. A couple of years of comics that existed before he died and the stuff he's had afterwards, you know, I just don't think he, until this book, I don't think he, it's been years that long since he's had a good run. Yeah. I, as I agree. far as a solo book. And I've really enjoyed this book. And this issue was, and you're right. It does feel like an old style solo Wolverine book where he just sort of tells everyone to screw off and then just sort of does his own thing.
0: You know, I was thinking back, I
2: think, the last time Wolverine felt like this to me was
0: actually Avengers versus X-Men before the Phoenix Force got full blown into it and he was after hope. You remember yep. that? And the ordeal with the X-Men and the Avengers when Captain America kicked him out of the airplane? Yep. <laughs> that felt like Wolverine in those few issues. But it's it's been too sparse, too few moments and too far between. And I'm glad we got rid of the lightsaber claws that he was reborn with before Hickman took over the X-Men. Did they explain that, or they just ignore it? Yeah, it's just gone. Okay. Man, it's just gone. I gave the writing a four, the art a four, the dynamic
2: a five. My score was 4.3. We have a similar score. Uh, I gave the writing a dynamic a four, and the art a five. So we both gave it a
0: 4.3. Empire X-Men number four, the last issue of the Empire X-Men series. Writer Hickman, art by Jorge Molina and Lucas Wernick. I like how the last issue has absolutely nothing to do with Empire. That's it. We're not even making it a pretense anymore. This was about the zombies.
2: Yeah. And it was like, oh, we need to explain where Scar- what Scarlet Witch is doing. Here we go. The
0: way they tied this in, the way they worked it, you know we will be circling around to this situation with the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And Doctor Strange, as the Scarlet Witch was explaining what she had done, and Doctor Strange <laughs> kept pouring himself shots that was that was awesome that was wonderful
2: i like what half this issue is that or close to it it like yeah it was it was dr strange dealing with wanda he's going, listen when you're dealing with dead people like you're not going to get any of the results that you want yeah you can't unring this bell yeah like once so once it's dead they're dead it ain't up to us to bring them back we can't really do it right Hank McCoy, his morality is completely dependent on what
0: he wants at that moment. Yeah. Hickman's doing a wonderful job with that.
2: And did you not love the Ileana stuff where she, I am
0: now ruler of this world. You're all
2: my slaves and you blew away as a special slave. Yeah. You're... I got plans for you.
0: And then the spell breaks and she snaps out of it and returns to
2: normal. I had a moment. <laughs> I thought it was so goofy how, how they explain like, oh, Wanda, your spell will end in, in exactly 30 days. And then like the time of the <laughs> the story is like 29 days and, and 23 hours. So yeah,
0: 59 <laughs> minutes, 59 <laughs> seconds. And then it's all over. This has nothing to do with Empire. I think for like maybe one issue, you see some plant people. No, uh, it starts off
2: from the first issue to the last issue. The further it goes along, the less it has anything to do with them.
0: Yes, that's correct. And this was just a fun X-Men story that actually serves to further the plot of Hickman's X-Men book.
2: This miniseries turned out to be real good. And it is. It's, a, it's like a real fun comic. Joy it from the first page to the last.
0: Yes, it is.
2: Sandra, did you read your Conan book? <laughs>
1: I'm not even sure I want to talk about that.
2: Oh, that's right. He swam to Atlantis this week.
0: And that was the last thing I thought of. And real quick, I went and read it.
2: (laughs) I forgot all about that and And didn't read it.
1: I am, well, don't bother. I mean, I'm, I'm beyond disappointed. I had high hopes for that writer. His name is Saladin Ahmed. He did the Eisner winning Black Bolt series with Christian Ward. He said some positive things about Namor before, and he's done some reading on the Golden Age stuff, and he did this wacky Exiles Namor that was kind of funny, the Age of Aquarius Neymar. And the whole series is about Conan trying to get the Serpent Crown, and the Serpent Crown is fundamentally an Atlantean artifact. Its first appearance as the Serpent Crown was in Submariner 13, but it actually uh, shows up earlier as the helmet of power that Destiny was wearing that he used to give Namor the amnesia that Johnny Storm broke up. It just really annoys me when people use the serpent crown and they don't even acknowledge that it's Atlantean or that it has something to do with Namor or the mythos is straight out of Namor's book. So I thought, okay, here we go. Here's a guy that's interested in Namor and he's going to be talking about the serpent crown and there's going to be like a whole book of Namer and the serpent crown and the Atlantean stuff. It was so stupid all around. I mean, like was that what Rick Rema- the Reminder used it in secret Avengers? That was uh, Ed Brubaker used it in Brubaker. secret Avenger. Yeah. Brubaker. Brubaker, Brubaker, Yeah. He did one that was on Mars and he didn't even yeah. mention anything about uh, having ties to Atlantis. It just breaks my heart when I see such a golden opportunity Completely wasted, and in this one, I thought, okay, it's going to be Namor and Atlantis in the Serpent Crown, and there's going to be a whole book of it. No, there was more about Wakanda and Shuri in this book, and they looked much better than Namor and Atlantis. We didn't even get to see Atlantis. The setup is that the Atlanteans are so stupid that they're hiding the Serpent Crown in a cave that's guarded by two Atlanteans. Conan, I understand Conan's a sword and sorcery hero, but Namor should be able to like flick a fingernail and knock him out. I mean, Namor has taken out Red Hulk in the water. He has taken out Green Hulk in the water. He has taken out almost any high-powered superhero in the water. Mm-hmm. And here he is having a hard time holding off Conan.
2: Well, have oh, you he- ever followed a drunk Sumerian? Oh, Conan was sober during this.
1: Yeah, it was just I'm it sure. was just all around a bad showing, not enough page time, not enough.
0: I have a very low bar for Conan books. Savage Avengers is off the charts great, but I have a very low bar for books with the title Conan on them and even this did not get past that bar. This was it's just a bad Conan book. And also, I'm tired of things like the Serpent Crown. I really do think that whoever takes over Avengers next, there should just be a 12-issue arc of them doing nothing but going around and grabbing these artifacts that are ridiculously powerful and destroying them. Kind of like Harry Potter into Deathly Hallows. (laughs) There's just too many of them laying around.
1: Well, yeah, even as a Namor fan, even if I take out my severe disappointment with the abuse of Namor in this, this issue, the story itself is just, it's just... And this is called what, Conan and... Battle for the Serpent Crown. Conan
0: Battle for the Serpent Crown. Right. Yeah, I didn't care for it. I just thought it was bland. And as for Namor having trouble with Conan, you can always say mind control.
1: But that's the thing. Namor's like one of the few people that has been able to resist the Serpent Crown. He has been able to to break the hold of the Serpent Crown. And then the other thing is that doesn't even get mentioned that the Serpent Crown was used in Zadarski's Invaders. It's just, it was all around disappointing. But yeah, and even, but even if you take all that out, I think as a Conan story, it's fairly weak.
0: So you're going to say no.
1: To no, Conan. I'm going to give the writing a one. I'm going to give the dynamic a one and I'm going to give the art because that is the only there is one big splash page where Namer shows up that is worth the price of the book for me as a Namer fan but for everybody else, no but Luke Ross does a good Conan he does a great Namer so I would give Luke Ross at least a three, maybe a four but this book, I I would not recommend buying it I mean, even if you're a Namer fan mm -hmm. Yeah, I read it, I wouldn't recommend buying it either
0: even if you're a Conan fan
2: Maestro number one
0: by Peter Allen David and a variety of artists, including Del Kion.
2: What I don't understand about Del Kion, and, and I'm sure there has to be a reason for it, he's done such great Hulk work over the years, and that's sort of it. He never really did, I mean, he's, he did other stuff, it was never on the level of his Hulk stuff. Well, he may have been just
0: happier on that book. Go back to Paul Smith. You don't see Paul Smith on a lot of stuff
2: outside of X-Men back in the day. I mean, Del Kion's Hulk was so good that when Gary Frank would do Hulk back in the day, like he was Del Kion clone when he was doing it. Some artists
0: just find a niche with things. On Maestro, I thought this was an outstanding start. It's definitely Peter David, and there's something to Peter David writing the Hulk. I mean, he spent so many years on it. This was a... Strong first issue. It gives the promise of a wonderful series to follow. I very much enjoyed it. The art was outstanding throughout it. Definitely worth your money. I gave the writing a 5, the art a 5, I gave the dynamic a 4. My score on it was 4.7. I pretty much have the same score. It's well worth your money. And yeah, it's, it's a really, it's going, really good book. Yeah. It's going to be entertaining especially if you're familiar With Future Imperfect, and if you're not, I understand that Marvel has reprinted it and put it out there, so ask your local comic book shop. Where is it? Give it to me. Give it to me now. And if they don't have it, then are they really your local comic book shop, or have you just stumbled into a Walmart? (laughs) 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 Then we're going to round out the Marvel Comics this week with Thor, number six writer Donnie Cates, and art by Nick Klein. And Sandra, that brings us to a question. With Thor being around, how can you even give Namor a second glance? (laughs) Well, I've never been into blonde, so. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Albert, I'm going to throw this one at you. I've I've thrown one at Sandra. I'm going to throw this one at you. I think the Immortal Hulk has a worthy challenger. I think the Immortal Hulk now has a run for its money. This has been a real good book, but this issue was just great. I'm going to go ahead and say it's not just the best Thor book since Simonson. And I say this with all respect to Walter Simonson and all humility. I'm going to go ahead and say this is the best Thor book ever.
1: Uh, I'm not going Uh, going that far. I I, I can't believe that. No. I'm not going that
2: far. I uh, I don't know about that.
0: Name a better Thor book.
2: Uh, Walt Simonson's Thor? I was about to say, Walt oh,
0: Simonson's I'm Thor. I loved Walt Simonson's Thor, and he's the bar, but I think Donnie Cates just set a new standard with this. It,
2: it depends. He's going to have to not get stupid with Noel. Well, the Noel and thing is... all that is venomous, a, he's going to have to tone it down in this book some. The Noel thing's a separate situation. I'm sure Thor will For be now. involved in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, like this issue and all the Galactus stuff in it was just... It was just amazing.
0: Outstanding cosmic. This is why there needs to be a little more coordination between Marvel editorial, because there's no way this Thor has a problem with plant people or with K'unshu or Kunush or whatever his name is in Avengers or anything else. There's just no way. This is an outstanding, outstanding book. That splash page. What did Thor see when he was shown his own death Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is going to be awesome. Cates is not going to let his Thor run culminate in Null, the symbiote situation. He's just pointed to where he's going to knock the baseball with it, with that splash page. Yeah. And that just looks absolutely spectacular. That'd be a great story if we can pull it off. I think so, too. I went so far as to give the overall score to Thor number six on a scale of one to five, I gave it a six. <laughs> no, you can't cheat. I gave it straight fives. Straight fives. Straight wow. fives all the way through. Yeah. Don't wait. Well, you got to wait for them to put it in trade paperback. But don't hesitate to pick this up when it comes out in trade paperback. This is a great four book. Yeah. yeah. Just outstanding. All right. So that runs out our comics for the week. Y'all ready to talk about some of the books that are coming out next week? Sure. So these are the books that are scheduled to come out on August 26, 2020, and we're just going to look over them real quick and say yay or nay, whether or not we're interested in them. Boom Studios is coming out with Mega Man Fully Charged, number one. Albert, you know far more about Mega Man than me, so what do you think? I'm going to abstain on this. because
2: uh, I'll give it a yay, I'll give it a shot. The cover looks great. If you're trying to do like a like a cartoonish book, I mean there's a lot of characters and stuff in Metal Man you could use and it shouldn't be difficult to do a good job with this book. Okay. So.
0: Dynamite is coming out with Sacred Six number two writer Christopher Priest, artist Gabrielle Abera. Yeah, I seem to remember Sacred Six number one, and while it didn't impact and I don't think it actually made it onto the podcast, it's Christopher Priest. I'm typically going to give him two or three
2: issues. Isn't yeah i'll read a
0: vampirella it. book sacred six
2: mm-hmm. yeah i believe it is okay oh it's a vampirella book mm-hmm. no i'm not gonna read that oh well, it's christopher priest though how about you sandra <laughs> it's um, still vampirella no. <laughs> all right it is christopher priest it is, yeah, christopher it is christopher priest
0: i keep but saying it's christopher no. priest <laughs> Now, here's one I was not aware was coming out, and I'm all over this. IDW Comics is putting out a one-shot Star Trek Hell's Mirror, written by J.M. DeMatteis and the art by Matthew Dow Smith. And this is dealing with the Mirror Universe, where Spock has a goatee and they're evil, which we've revisited in every version of Star Trek ever. But this is dealing with the mirror universe situation, but it's dealing with Khan in the mirror universe. Oh. And since it's a one-shot, yeah, I'm all over this.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute. And JM Dematius and Khan. Yes. Man, I might yeah, yeah. Sign me up for that one.
0: Yeah, I'm all about this. And it's yeah, like the original series. Yeah, I'm excited about this. First Star Trek comic I've been excited about in a while. Sleeping Beauty is number three, also coming out from IDW, the based on the Stephen King novel, written and adapted by Rio Yours and artist Allison Sampson. Albert, you weren't jumping up and down about it. Sandra, I forget whether or not you were. Nope. I'm, I'm going just... to read it, but this is going to determine the series for me, whether or not I want to continue to follow it. I like number one, but number two... It didn't really, I didn't feel, went anywhere. So I'm going to check out number three and see. This is where all the women are falling asleep.
2: I'll read issue two and see what it does. Well, this is issue three. three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, what? Yeah, we didn't talk about issue two. When didn't. When, I didn't even know issue
0: two came out. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. We did one and two at the same time. I apologize. Oh, is that so, what it yeah, was? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give I'll
1: give it a shot. Sandra? Nope. Nope. Not a Stephen King fan. Not a Stephen King. Okay, fine. Image
0: Comics next week is releasing Bliss number two. Writer Sean Lewis, artist Caitlin Yarsky. I know we read number one. I don't think it made it onto the final cut of the podcast. I'm going to read number two, and we'll see if we talk about it next week. But I'm not excited about it.
2: Albert? No, I mean, I'll I'll give it a shot, but I don't don't know.
0: And Sandra, don't read Stephen King. (laughs) Nope. That has nothing to do with bliss number two. I just thought I'd throw it out there. <laughs> All right. Now, one one that's quickly becoming one of my personal favorites, also from Image, is That Texas Blood number three. I think this book is a no-brainer. The first two issues were outstanding. So I'm going to say, yeah, this is definite for me.
1: What was the plot of this book? <laughs> the casserole dish. The casserole the dish. Sheriff,
0: the casserole dish. Oh, the no. okay.
1: Yeah, this
2: is pretty good. This, I liked it. <laughs> You know, we did, issue
0: number two didn't show us the face fate of the casserole dish. It sure didn't. <laughs> so I hope Chris Condon doesn't forget that Marvel comics. Real quick, 2020 Force Works number three, 2020 I Wolverine number two. These are that 2020 Iron Man Dan Slott fiasco tie-ins. I'm I'm skipping those.
1: NFW. Hey. Yeah.
0: So that's nose across the board on that. Empire Captain America, Empire Avengers. I don't care whose art is in Empire Avengers. I'm still, I'm I'm not interested. It's the Avengers. I keep saying it. It's the Avengers versus foliage. It's the Avengers versus, I don't care about Empire.
1: I saw an ad or not an ad, maybe a tagline or something. And it was, no, it was a review. It was a review and it was talking about Empire Avengers. And it was talking about the army of salad. Oh, that's... <laughs> I mean, that's it. I I honestly think, I think death metal and Empire is
0: in a mad dash to see who can make me hate them more. The army of salad.
1: Oh. <laughs> yes, There's a ranch going... dressing joke in
0: there somewhere. <laughs> I, just right,
1: I, I'm gonna, I am going to, Carlo Magno, you have earned big points from me for your work on Zardaski's Invaders. So I'm going to stick with it and finish it off. Plus, yeah. Plant Man. God.
0: <laughs> Albert, where are you on the Empire tie-ins that don't fit your Eliana? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just first skipped the whole thing. Okay.
0: Okay. And also I, I'm going to go back and amend this. Iron Man 2020 number six is also coming out, but that still falls NF-W. under the category. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Another one that I had no idea was on the radar here. Fantastic four antithesis. Number one of four issues written by mark wade and art by neil adams i'm all over this book oh yeah yeah sign me up albert i don't know (laughs) oh come on wade's writing it one of the best post simonson fantastic four runs was wade i mean the best i have to disagree post simonson Hickman. Hickman's run was fantastic. Shoot, I forgot about Hickman. But they didn't, you see, it was reading like a really, really good book then, and I forgot about it. Yeah. So, yeah, Hickman, too. Come on, Albert. It's Mark Wade and Neil Adams, and all Neil Adams is doing is the art. Yeah, I'll give it a read. You don't have to buy into where does water come from situation with Neil Adams. Just look at the pretty pictures. <laughs> Hellions number three, Zeb Wells, Stephen Segovia. Uh, I like the first one. It's an next book. I'm in. I like Zeb Wells. He does a pretty good job. The first couple of issues were good. I'll, I'll keep reading. Sandra, you're trying your damnedest to catch up on the X-Books, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> sure, sure I am. <laughs> you're going to regret it. When uh, I Magneto, need to, I need to. Yeah, when Magneto has to do a little rearranging of Atlantis there.
1: <laughs> that is not happening.
0: X-Factor number two, Leah Williams and art by David Baldian. I love the first issue. Albert, you lamented that there was uh, that multiple man was not in it, but I think you otherwise thought it was positive. Yeah, I mean, first issue was good. I liked it. Yeah. So we're both down for X-Factor. Yep. Moving on to DC Comics being released the week of August 26, 2020. Batgirl number 48, they are canceling Batgirl, but uh, it is a Joker War tie-in written by Cecil Castellucci and art by Robbie Rodriguez. It's a Joker War tie-in, so I'm going to swing in there and see how they I'll close it up. flip through out. it. Detective Comics number 1026, the penultimate issue before... Batman's 1,000th issue comes out, which is 1027, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art and cover by Kenneth Rockefort. Detective's a no-brainer. It's a good read, and it's always consistently entertaining. I feel that people are safe with it.
2: Yeah, this should be sort of like just a one-off issue anyway red hood number 48
0: written by scott Lobdell and art by brett booth and danny mickey this is also a joker war tie-in and that's why i'm interested in it and i i like brett booth's art so i i want to swing in there and see that too on red hood number 48 i'm not jumping up and down about it and my primary reason being interested in it is brett booth and joker war tie-in i may read it okay so that's a maybe from you yeah Wonder Woman number 761. I want to see where they go with Maxwell Lord. So I am going in there, but I'm going in there rather unenthusiastically.
2: Maxwell Lord, we, you mean Ted Cord?
0: No, Max Lord is playing a part in the Wonder Woman comic. Also. What book is used in Ted Cord? Well, he may be in the Wonder Woman comic, but Max Lord is a situation... I thought Max
2: Lord just showed up last issue just to say he's not involved with it. I think he has something more to do
0: with it. I could be wrong, but either way, I'm swinging in to follow it up to see exactly at what point does Wonder Woman realize that this disgruntled little teenage girl runaway is doing all of this i'm not enthusiastic about it simply because daniel warren johnson's wonder woman dead earth was fantastic and looking at this is kind of it's kind of a two-dimensional situation it's better than it was previously but uh written by mariko tamaki and art by carlo Barbieri. how about you albert
2: yeah i may stick around for a few more issues to see what it does but that's that may be it on that book
0: Flash number seven
2: sixty,
0: yeah, I'm a positive on. I'm I'm giving it a yay because it's written. It's come, we're coming in on Joshua Williamson's last couple of issues of Flash, and they keep promising that we're going to do something with it. I'm here for the last few issues of that just to see where they go with it. Art by Christian Deuce.
2: Yeah, he seems to be bringing back all the speedsters, so I'm I'm with it one hundred percent.
0: Okay. Okay, so y'all have heard me a number of times talk about how much happier I am with streaming and having gotten rid of all satellite and cable, and we just use the internet and we stream Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, and YouTube, and Hulu, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me share one of the drawbacks to that. It's called YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Denise and I, we both have our own little YouTube preferences, and we watch this and we watch that, but because of uh, this podcast and because of a lot of what we do, we have a lot of entertainment news coming in on both, but it's different degrees of entertainment news. And so Denise, right before we started the podcast tonight, in fact, it's why I'm running a little late, she sees a uh, uh, one of the Entertainment Channels, I.O., I think it is, reporting that we're canceling Russell Brand. Y'all know who Russell Brand is? Yes. Yeah, British comedian, uh, used to date Katy Perry, for people out there that need a point of reference. So Denise got curious about that. Why are we canceling Russell Brand? The whole thing is because Russell Brand has dared to mansplain, this is the Internet's words, not mine, has dared to mansplain... A music video entitled WAP. W A P. I didn't think. What is W A P? I thought is what is WAP? Is this a music group? Is this some? You know, this is clearly a song or something. Do y'all know what WAP is? No. I do. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect delivery, Albert. <laughs> okay. So, Denise starts watching one of the hosts, one of the many young hosts for this YouTube channel, start talking about Russell Brand is mansplaining WAP. And it's a music video by, I think, somebody named, I I think Cardi B. Am I right, Albert?
2: Yeah.
0: Oh. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, y'all gonna understand. My musical references is like the score and the soundtrack to Star Wars and Jurassic Park. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's the beginning, middle, and end of it. So anyway, the young host starts off by saying, and not only does he mansplain it, but he uses really complicated words, too. I felt I was in a college course. I had to go look up some of these words. And so then naturally, Denise goes out to find the original Russell Brand video. We sit there and we watch the whole thing, and he does not speak above a fifth grade level. And and I'm not knocking him. I know the man can, I know if he wanted to, yeah, he can really confuse the hell out of people, but he purposefully speaks at newspaper level.
2: I don't know what a newspaper is. (laughs) God.
0: The general rules of newspapers back when I was growing up is that they do not write above a fifth grade level, so the majority of the general public would have access to them. Now they don't exist. That was back during late 70s, early 80s that that rule existed. I don't know if there's a such a rule now. But anyway, you could tell that that's what he was doing. The thing that threw me was she was having trouble understanding Russell Brand and she was saying because of the vocabulary that he was using, the vocabulary is not a problem. I understand if you have trouble understanding Russell Brand because you don't speak cockney drunkard, but, <laughs> God. but he was speaking pretty straightforward. So naturally, our curiosity gets the best of us. And by our curiosity, I mean Denise's. And so she goes out to find the video named WAP. During that ordeal, during the entire ordeal, I was seriously considering how much would it cost to have them reattach normal cable channels? Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: (laughs) Okay, and I'm going to tell Sandra here, and it's going to be bleeped out, but I'm going to tell Sandra what WAP stands for. You should listen to Ben Shapiro explain it.
2: Ben Shapiro explains it? Well, he talks about it. Not the attorney. No, No? the political commentator guy. Who sounds like a twelve-year-old? I don't
0: know who Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah. If
2: you if you saw him, you'd know who it was. I really
0: don't. I know who Rush Limbaugh is. I know who. Uh, I make a lot of Alex Jones jokes. Is that
2: he's in that? In he ain't Alex like Jones,
0: but he's closer than Limbaugh. Okay, I don't know. Okay, I know Shapiro, the attorney that defended O.J. Simpson.
2: No, not not him, not him. Okay,
0: all right, Sandra. WAP stands for, and I apologize, wet, insert bad word here. Oh, my God. <laughs> the video, let me put it like this. Let's say that I'm Grand Moff Daniel. Grand Moff Daniel. <laughs> and the Death Star has popped into orbit around the Earth, and... I tell an executive there, you know, are we going to destroy the planet? It's in our way. We're prepping for our hyperspace byway here. Earth's in the way. You know what? Let's give the planet a fair shot. Let's look at some of its culture and make the determination on that. And, and let's just say that the most talked about piece of culture at the moment is WAP.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: We'll be firing up the old Death Star. <laughs> and bopping all the way through. So anyway, I just had to share that. I
1: see.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you get the chance. Look it up, Sandra.
1: <laughs> uh, I think I'll pass. <laughs> did, y'all, did
2: y'all see that, that uh, thing Netflix advertised today? What? It's a TV show. And why they thought this needed to be made. Why all these people aren't arrested. <laughs> so it's called Cuties. Is it this is like ra- the is this like the orange that nope, I eat? No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> it's called Cuties. It's a, a show that's rated TV mature. It's about eleven year olds twerking.
1: Oh my no.
2: Yeah, it's it's real.
0: Grand Moff Daniel, should we fire up one core reactor or all five? Is there any way to take it up to like ten?
2: <laughs> Can we just run the thing into
0: the planet? <laughs> yes. I see they've got a small moon. Can we just bump against that and knock it into the planet? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, have y'all watched The Umbrella Academy on Netflix? No. No. It's on my list. I think you do. I think y'all both kind of do need to... There's two seasons of it, so it'll take you a little time. So I'm going to go ahead and say this. If you do catch up with it, then we need to sit down and talk about it. Albert, did you read the Umbrella Academy comics? Yeah, I read all of it. What was your take on the comics? Gerard Way, right?
2: Yeah, they're they're pretty good, but it was just he was just doing more since Doom Patrol.
0: Now I can see aspects of that in the comic books. I I thought he did a okay. I'll grant you that there's a lot in common with Doom Patrol, but he was doing his own whacked out version of it.
2: Yeah, but I mean it's still just Doom Patrol. It it still
0: got the same flavor. Yeah. It's like chocolate, chocolate chip versus chocolate, right?
2: Uh, sure.
0: <laughs> Help me out here on these analogies every now and again, okay? <laughs> Gerard Way's Umbrella Academy was some whacked out, wild, outstanding visuals, off the wall storytelling. And it was basically an acid trip without the acid. And it was fun to read, but so is Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. It's fun to look at. The uh, Umbrella Academy on Netflix, it's like they looked at the two Umbrella Academy comic books and said, okay, we're going to take every other character aspect, but we're still going to change them around. And for the first two seasons of the Netflix series, we're basically going to do the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past but we're doing them with the characters and the names of the characters from the comic book Umbrella Academy. I don't begrudge them doing that, but I do feel that as much credit as they give the Umbrella Academy somewhere somewhere in the credit listing, they need to say they need to clearly come forth and say inspired by Chris Claremont John Byrne X-Men issues. I know they legally probably can't do that because that opens up a can of worms, but I'm also saying that there's enough similarities between the X-Men story arcs in the Netflix series that I really do think if Marvel was interested, and of course they're not interested, they're not going to do this, but if Marvel was interested, there could be an actual lawsuit. I think if Chris Claremont sit down to watch it. Really? Yeah, I think his blood pressure would go through the roof. Now, don't get me wrong... It's entertaining as all hell. You're just watching pseudo versions of the X-Men that have been draped in the cloak of the Umbrella Academy. Hmm. The Netflix series has little or nothing to do with the actual comic books. They borrow character names. They borrow some concepts, but they're all very watered down if they went straight forward and copied Gerard Way's Umbrella Academy and just did it unapologetically then dear god this would have uh, this would have either been one of the greatest Netflix successes or one of the greatest failures either way people would be screaming about it but instead what they did was they took aspects of Gerard Way's characters and then they took X-Men issues number 95 through 143 and sprinkled in various Claremont ideas from 143 all the way up through 200. That's what we've got. There's too many correlations between the Dark Phoenix saga and Days of Future Past. I mean, to the point that I really think a solid argument could be made in a court. I enjoyed it. I, it was fun to watch. I think you both should watch it. I think it was highly entertaining. However, it is not Gerard Way's Umbrella Academy. It's more Chris Claremont and John Burns' X-Men without the actual X-Men. Hmm. There's one scene where their badass individual who's the best there is at what he does. And my favorite character in it, of course, everybody's favorite character in it, is a character called Number Five who is an old man trapped in a prepubescent kid's body, was describing uh, the best there is at what he does character, number two, to somebody else. And the kid told him, said, think Batman and then aim lower. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was a great line, but there's actually a scene in that where this character is being blasted by the Jean Grey Phoenix equivalent character that's played by Ellen Page. All of the other team members have been blasted by her psionic energy because she's going through a Dark Phoenix stage, and he takes his knives. He don't, you know, I'll give him this, he doesn't have knives in his hand, but he takes his knives... And the way he makes his way to the door is by stabbing the knives in the ground and pulling on her. And I mean, that's a damn direct scene from Wolverine slamming his claws into the ground and crawling toward her, crawling toward Dark Phoenix. If you haven't seen Umbrella Academy on Netflix, it's well worth watching. And if you really like Netflix's version of Umbrella Academy, then I strongly suggest you go read the Dark Phoenix saga and days of future past from X-Men. Also, you should check out Gerard Way's Umbrella Academy because they didn't come close to his work on this. I think that's a shame. He did some good stuff in Umbrella Academy. I mean, Albert, uh, you even though it's Doom Patrol-esque, you liked it, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's a good the book. I mean, it's yeah. a really good book. They don't take time to talk down to you or try to explain anything. You're, you just either get it or you don't. Netflix's Umbrella Academy is actually John Byrne and Chris Claremont's X-Men. I just wanted to throw that out there. Hmm. So Perry Mason ended on HBO. and. Not to let any grass grow under HBO Max's feet, because if they do, more people will get fired. They premiered Lovecraft Country last Sunday night. I got to tell you, this was and was
2: not what I expected it to be, but it blew me away. Based on the creators attached to the show, it was pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. Really?
1: I mean, yeah. I I almost just blew off watching this because I was like, hmm.
2: No, I I knew exactly what the show was going to be based on who was working on it. And it was a really good episode. I thought I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to have to say this episode, I'm glad I didn't just blow it off because this episode just, I was sitting there and I didn't even realize it was 70 minutes long. I was glued to the screen. It was just fantastic. It was not what I expected. I was very pleased. I'll be back.
0: (laughs) It's odd when you're watching a horror movie and you actually start rooting for the monsters in certain aspects. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because yes. the, the scariest part of this and the most intense part of this was not necessarily the Lovecraftian warehounds that come out of the woodwork. Right. Literally. It was the human on human interaction, the, uh, the racist cops and the yeah. racist small towns. And that don't let the sun set on your ass. Those signs, Mm -hmm. that's real. That was real. That's still real. Yeah, that's still real. As a matter of fact, the last time I saw one was in 19, I'm going to think, I'm going to say it was 1999, and I actually was passing through Kentucky. That scared the bejesus out of me. And what we're talking about is uh, Sunset Counties, and it used to be a horrible, horrible thing, and apparently may still be out there, but uh, they would have signs up saying, if, if you're black, don't let the sun set in this town or this county. And I was driving back from Chicago and passed through a town in Kentucky, and I saw that sign. But just the idea that somebody, at that point, I just read about it in history books and stuff. But this this makes a, this makes a real horror show out of it, a real life horror show out of that situation.
1: That's one thing about this episode was, like, it it moved from one genre to another. It's not going to blink about the racism that was there.
2: Then they went ahead and got Lovecraft's racism out the way, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Lovecraft was, well-documented, Lovecraft was a racist. Well, they
2: bring up that poem he wrote, and that poem he wrote is super racist. Yeah. The creators
0: on this, Misha Green and Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is also in charge of the Twilight Zone now. Yeah, he's the
1: one that's doing that, for sure. And,
0: and also, the movie Us, Get Out. Get Out, I mean, yeah. Jordan is a force and a half, especially on this. He's in his element here. As much as I love his *Twilights* on his two seasons of *Twilight Zone* that he was story runner on, I, this just this first episode just blew me
2: away. Here,
1: I'm gonna have to say, like the acting on this has been top notch. The cast is fantastic.
2: Well, they got some very good actors and actresses in it anyway. I love Courtney
0: B. Vance. Oh yeah, and, he's fantastic
1: yeah. as Uncle George. Yeah, yeah, he is.
0: Yeah. He is outstanding. But I enjoy watching him no matter what. I loved him in the People
2: versus O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. Did he get an Emmy for that? If he didn't, he should have. I don't know. I think that was such an odd show because like, when you look at the cast, you're like, wow, that looks horrible. Then when you watch it, it's fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah, it really was.
2: He really outdid himself in
0: that and he's wonderful in this. And there's very human elements too and it's not the intense storytelling is there in the racism. It's there with the monsters but it's also there in the family interacting mm-hmm. when they stop off at the house and they stay overnight. That's a horribly tense situation.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and you're left wondering what, what the heck was going on with Letitia because not only did her brother and her have that big fight that Uncle George and Atticus were kind of like trying to avoid, her sister told her that she could only stay with Her sister was the singer at yeah. the block party. And her sister said, well, you can only stay two days. That's all I'm giving you. So apparently there's something with the money and her missing her mom's funeral and some other stuff that's going on. It's going to be filled in, one assumes. Oh, family stuff.
0: I mean, everybody knows this, but family stuff is a nightmare and a half. And the longer it goes on, the longer it drags out, it can just really, really get to you. And Mm -hmm. and the more complicated it becomes. So anybody that's experienced, and that's all of us, that has experienced family drama, and we're sitting here and we're watching this, it does. It speaks to you. And that's that's part of the genius of Hill's storytelling. He knows where he's aiming. He knows what he's aiming for. Whether it's with the monsters, whether it's with the racism, whether it's with the family argument, he knows where to point the gun. I'm looking forward to more of this.
1: Right, and there's a lot of hooks in here. I mean, a lot of mysteries and stuff. Like I said, like what is going on with Letitia and her family? But then there's a thing: what the heck is going on with Atticus and yeah. the Korean girl? Yeah, you know that he calls there. I'm assuming that the Dejah Thoris character that came out of the yeah the red the red right, alien the, the red princess, princess was, yeah that that's from the probably the Korean girl that he called yeah um. I had to start it over again after I watched it because I, there was just so many little details in there and references. For example, A Princess of Mars, the Edgar Rice Burroughs books, comic War of books. the World, yeah. the comic books. Did you get the reference to Wonder Woman with Uncle George's wife? Yes. And their daughter, Diana? Yeah. Did you
0: also catch, and this doesn't require an explanation yet, but it ultimately, you've got to have an explanation for it. But did you catch when they were being chased out of town during daylight and the Royal's Royce, the Silver Royal's Royce yes. was yes. running alongside them and swiped in front of the truck full of the bigots with yeah. the shotguns? Right. You know, that truck never
2: touched that car. Yeah, yeah. yeah I noticed it. Yeah. I don't know if that supposed was that on purpose or just the way almost, they shot yes. it? Yeah, that was on purpose. That was okay. the same
1: Silver Rolls Royce that his dad got into, and that we see when they come up to the estate at the end. The, the love Yeah. So there's, yeah, so there's some, something going on there. It was just such an inventive. All the little details, like the little pictures that Diana drew all over their map. I
0: thought those were cool.
1: It's not Arkham, it's Ardum or whatever. But um, they've got
0: a Pill has an opportunity with this. The creators on this show, and of course they, they should know it, have an opportunity with this. If they play their cards right and they drag this out in the right way, they can make this into a Game of Thrones situation where the merchandising is very impressive. As soon as I saw that map and the first viewing of it,
1: mm-hmm. I
0: thought, oh, dear Lord, you could make an entire book of those with those little drawn-in creatures and sell them out as the Lovecraft manual or whatever has mm-hmm. a compendium to the show. And it's the same thing. You're seeing little things here and there, but they have a real opportunity with this so far as it being an epic to turn it into another HBO Game of Thrones-esque epic
1: yeah but this one may be i don't know about that because like this one is more like on the mystery thing i think as opposed to the world building thing but but look you've
0: got
2: you've got chances can this opening scene alone a lot of the lovecraft stuff is, is public domain though yeah i don't i don't think all of it is No,
0: not all of it. Some of it was, yeah, it's like the H.G. Wells stuff. Most all of H.G. Wells I mean,
2: anyone can make Lovecraft stuff. That's not that big of a deal. And you've got the H.G. Wells
0: aliens in that opening scene as well. Yeah. I really do look forward to it, and I hope they take every opportunity with this. And I do think that it could be along the lines, even though it is a mystery and such, I do think it could be along the lines of an epic, one of the HBO epics.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's timely, and it's it's just incredibly engaging, like I said. It I mean, really
0: is. I mean, And it catches you off guard in many right. different ways.
1: Yes, and there's some great, just some great moments. The Easter eggs that they layer in here, not just with the sci-fi stuff, but like the history stuff.
0: And Jackie Robinson with the bat.
1: Oh, that was, yeah, that, that was, was like...
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing it in the background on mute, and I did not realize this before, but... When I was saying the situation where I came through Kentucky, he was leaving Kentucky,
1: right? Right. And he and, shot at the bird. So right. yeah. And I love it that that woman said he woke up from the dream, and she said, "Oh, it's nothing happening. We're just crossing another bridge named after some dead Confederate general or yeah, something yeah. like now, that." that.
0: Was a good line yeah. Yeah. Albert, do you remember all those bottles of True Blood that I used to order? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh oh that's
0: the kind of merchandising opportunity I'm talking about here. God, I hate true
2: blood. <laughs> hey, they sold. <laughs> that drink tasted awful. <laughs> How many
0: of them did you drink?
2: One. <laughs> I was well, really thirsty right. and we, we came, and I couldn't leave the walk down to the deli cause we have been, we, were, we had a bunch of people that night or whatever. So I just drunk one. I was like, God, this is the worst. <laughs> I think it was like blood orange or something like that. It tasted is it, horrible. Is it beer? No, it was no. It was just like a bottled drink. Like the, oh. the bottle itself was supposed to sort of look like alcohol, like a beer bottle. But the actual drink, I think, was like a maybe a soft drink of some sorts.
0: Kind of like Red Bull, but yeah, yes.
2: yeah, yeah. That's what it was. It was, it was terrible. So, mm. <laughs> I had and I didn't want to waste it, so I had to drink the I'd... whole thing.
0: I used to try out all sorts of crap on them. I'd order it in and, oh, "Okay, go ahead. Here, here's the Simpson's Duff beer. Try this." It's only been sitting in the diamond warehouse for God knows how long. God. <laughs> if they didn't die, then I assumed it was safe to sell to the public. <laughs> Going to wrap it up for this episode. We appreciate you tuning in once again. And again, thank you so very much. Last episode, even though it was two and a half hours long, dear Lord, it hit 100 quicker than any episode before it that we've had. I'm talking about a major turnaround. And thank you so much. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Again, stop people in public and say, hey, you look like you could use a good comic book podcast. <laughs> But they don't just talk about comic books, they talk about music videos like WAP. (laughs) Oh no, please do give us five stars. Uh, let us know what's on your mind. I have, we did skip most of the emails tonight, but I'm glad we got the Ewing thing out of the way because I did. When I read that email, I felt embarrassed. I thought, why in the hell did I not realize that? So we'll get to some emails next time around. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at Gmail, on Facebook, on Twitter, and Kingdom Comics at Gmail on Facebook, on Twitter. So follow us through any of those sources. Send us email, love us, hate us, let us know what you think. And again, we cannot thank you enough. And if you've got suggestions for what you'd like to hear from us in the future concerning movies, videos, anything else, just let us know. We're just doing the HBO stuff because Albert was big on Perry Mason and how could you not do Lovecraft Country? Thank you all so very much. Sandra, you got anything to say here?
1: Did I already say the uh, the the only Empire title that you need to buy? I think I did.
0: Was in, was X Men?
1: No, the only Empire title that you must buy is let me get it right here because it's coming out in September. Empire Fallout, Fantastic Four One, because it has the Alex Ross Submariner Timeless variant cover. Albert
0: and I would argue with you the only Empire title you need to buy is Empire X Men because it has absolutely nothing to do with the Empire storyline.
1: That that storyline, I just. uh. Plus,
0: Ileana almost takes over the world. (laughs) Albert, what have you got to say? I ain't got nothing to say. I done said it all. All right, then. Well, tell them good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Thank you all, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Glynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020, all rights reserved.
2: Stigma Excalibur.